0: In December of 1937, WNYC aired an interview with the assistant principal of Brooklyn's PS 31, a woman identified on air as Mrs. Edward M. Douglas. Asked how the students at her school compared to her own childhood friends, she replied, The children I know best seem to have a directness, a simplicity, and a charm that I don't recall my generation having. It's a surprisingly generous answer. So many of us want to enumerate the ways subsequent generations have disappointed us. A quick Google search of the term millennial reveals such griping to be something of a national pastime. But Ms. Douglas watches the little people passing through her hallways and her own young daughter and concludes that kids today are a lot more likable than the ones she remembers. This take resonates with me. As an adult, I've come around to the youth, but back when I was a kid, I hated nothing so much as other kids. I think part of the issue is that childhood is really only discernible to adults. Kids are impulsive and unpredictable and poorly socialized, and they say totally unacceptable things. And as an adult, that's what makes them fun to be around. They're a relief from the pressure and predictability of normal social interaction. But when you're a kid, other kids aren't cute or precocious or charmingly anarchic. They're just people, somewhat psychotic people. They can tease you or frighten you or bully you, and they're not even small. In that light, Ms. Douglas's answer isn't really surprising at all. Of course she finds kids simpler and more charming than she did when she was one. They're kids now. We often talk about wanting to let children stay children as long as possible to keep them unburdened by our own concerns, to let them retain their innocence, and maybe even their ignorance. But how many of us wanted to stay kids when we were kids? In his book, Summerhill, education pioneer A.S. Neal recalls seeing a grade school production of Peter Pan that struck him as totally incongruous. Peter Pan, he insisted, is a story for adults. Kids, in his experience, were actually quite eager to grow up. It's adults looking at childhood from a new vantage, who sometimes regret having done so, which creates an intractable dilemma for parents and educators like Ms. Douglas. When kids ask you questions, big, grown-up questions like, where do babies come from and what happens when we die, do you tailor your answer to the child who's asking or to the adult she's trying to become? After all, Ms. Douglas was once herself an inquisitive kid looking for answers the grown-ups around her were reluctant to give. 40 years earlier, in fact, she'd written a letter to the editor that ran in the New York Sun. Dear editor, she wrote, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon, 115 West 95th Street. Well, Virginia, it's complicated. This is Know You're Wrong, where pointless disputes are fiercely debated. Today, our intergenerational panel merrily considers a perennial problem. What should you tell your kids about Santa Claus? And because these waters are too ethically treacherous for one moderator to navigate alone, we are calling in the assistance of a co-moderator. Mary Jane Rubenstein, professor of the philosophy of religion, celebrated author and speaker, and pretty serviceable sister to boot, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thanks for
0: having me. You are no stranger to big questions. You have a couple of books and countless articles on subjects from the metaphysical to the astrophysical under your belt and a lot of irons in the proverbial fire. But your most recent opus is My New Nephew, which is to say this is no longer a strictly theoretical question for you. That's right. So let's talk to our panelists. I believe you've met our skeptical Hanukkah helper, Isaac. What's up? And I reckon you've also met our credulous Christmas confectioner, Kate. Yes. And I think you've even met our special guest as a 45 year veteran of New York and New Jersey public schools, Ronnie Warren taught thousands of kids about metaphor and symbolism, introduced them to Shakespeare and Harper Lee, and never let a single one of them leave for winter break without learning how to sing "Old Lang Syne. She is also a true Christmas enthusiast. Having written a dozen holiday themed parody songs, maybe more, baked a mountain of Christmas cookies and hung every last stocking by the chimney with the utmost care. Mom, welcome to Know You're Wrong. Oh,
2: thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) All right, Mom, I was pretty young when you first showed me Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus, the New York Sun's response to Virginia O'Hanlon's letter. The reply was written without attribution by Francis Farcellus Church, a veteran journalist and Civil War correspondent and has since become the most famous and widely circulated editorial in history. And it's really, in my opinion, a remarkable piece of writing. Uh, Read literally as an eight year old would likely receive it, it assures the reader that not only is there a Santa Claus, but anyone who says otherwise is a jerk. Certainly that's what I took from it when you first employed the piece to assuage my doubts about the man in the red coat. Rereading it as an adult, I now see a defense of fantasy and imagination and, an argument that an unwillingness to believe in things that can't be observed is a sign of both the hubris and hopelessness of the modern man, subjects with which a journalist who covered the Civil War might have been intimately familiar. Now you raised both of our moderators two interfaith kids who had a lot of difficult questions about faith and belief. So how did Church do? Did he answer Virginia's question correctly?
2: Church answered the question very well. What's problematic is the title Of this discussion. Uh, When you asked me to participate in a discussion about um, what do you tell kids about Santa Claus or, well, Virginia, it's complicated, my first response was, no, it's not. What's the problem? I'd like to start by noting that there is more discussion devoted to Santa Claus than to any other popular system, if you will, of myth. No one balks if you say, hey, I'm an Aries. That's what I am or, hey, don't jinx me. Uh, I will use these crystals to heal myself. Um, If you uh, throw salt over your shoulder after you've spilled it on the table, you'll avoid bad luck. We are constantly doing these things as adults, and yet, we are the ones who want to have control over what children believe about Santa Claus. Now, I don't have all the answers, but I have a lot of good friends, Mm -hmm. which are sitting in front of me, Mm and I've consulted them as to yeah, what they think.
0: There is a huge stack of reference materials <laughs> sitting in in front of us right now. Uh, n- no one has done quite as much preparation for this show so far <laughs> as as a uh, mom has done.
2: Well, William Bennett, the famous conservative thinker and writer, wrote this the real story of Saint Nicholas. At least that's what he calls it. Uh, Bennett tries to to locate uh, Santa Claus in this Christian tradition of Nicholas of Myra, mm-hmm. uh, using lest his real story be lost. So you know, kids should understand that Santa Claus was originally a saint. Yeah. So who's Saint Nicholas? Saint Nicholas is uh, a saint who was born in Turkey and who was located as bishop in Myra in Greece. The tale was that Saint Nicholas grew up learning how to be a very generous person and the most famous stories of saint nicholas revolve around his giving as an adult money for daughters to have dowries when he learned of a poor man in town with three daughters to marry off none of whom had enough for a dowry as a legend goes he opened their window one night and threw in enough coins for the first daughter's dowry but then he had two more daughters to worry about so the second daughter couple of nights later also needed a dowry and St. Nicholas opens up the window of this little cottage and throws in the money but on the third night because the father could not see where the money is coming from he shut the windows figuring he would be forcing the donor to come through the front door but St. Nicholas wanted to remain anonymous so Nicholas instead threw coins down a chimney nice that's cool Threw coins down the chimney to retain his anonymity and so later on, people began to put socks and shoes and other things near a chimney in the hopes that they catch. would catch the coins or whatever else might have come down that chimney. So that's sort of where we get the stocking thing from. That's helpful. Yeah. Now, Henry Cole starts starts making these cards. They're really just postcards. And then they evolve into Christmas cards around, around 1843. And then at the same time, Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband, Imports his from his beloved Germany a a tree, you know an evergreen this we start getting Christmas trees and and Things begin to conflate.
0: Well, and that's from the the German tradition of Yule right? Yeah, it
2: is from the German tradition of Yule, but prior to that it was also uh, the German tradition of of, uh, Celebrating solstice or what we would call solstice. Right. All right, so a number of scientific discoveries and inventions further push Santa into the culture for example in 1929 we have the first message from Santa over the radio uh, which, which sort of enhanced the idea that there's an unseen giver of gifts somewhere out there and uh, Highfield does a wonderful job in the physics of Christmas of talking about all of these things and how they arrive. Okay so this
0: is interesting because mm-hmm. what happens there when you suddenly hear Santa's voice over the radio mm-hmm. is that Santa becomes something very literal and specific mm-hmm. He has some actual individual's voice. Does that change it from being the kind of story that you you tell to the kind of story that you expect someone to literally believe?
2: Well, we from from the myth, you know, we we tend to want to reify things, right? Mm-hmm. So we tell take fairy tales, as Bruno Bettelheim in the Uses of Enchantment says, and we we endow cre- characters with certain attributes. Uh, most of which are to put an obstacle in front of a child, who then, at the end of the story, tale able able to overcome the obstacle, whether it's a, you know an right. apple they ate. However, since the the advent of motion pictures, we have now reified those fairy tales that we put them on the screen in various forms. That's true, also of Harry Potter. That's exactly like he had that. an obstacle, mm-hmm. and then we saw him on the mm-hmm.
0: on the movies and on our TV screens. Mm-hmm. But no
2: one has ever
0: asked a kid to believe that Harry Potter was actually real.
2: Well, no. You've you got a point. What's surprising here is the number of real scholars out there who have done very serious research, not just on St. Nicholas and his origins, but on the psychosocial and anthropological phenomenon of Santa Claus himself.
1: So you're saying that Santa Claus is fundamentally different from Harry Potter?
2: I am not. I am saying that Santa Claus is a precursor to Harry Potter. But
1: are we going to get to the point where somebody asks you to believe in the existence of Harry Potter?
2: No, but we get to the point where you are asked by authors and our friends and everyone else to suspend our disbelief for a short period of time while we are watching Harry Potter on TV or reading the book. So you're saying the eight years of your life you spend
0: believing in Santa Claus is just an extended suspension of disbelief. Exactly. That's the time it takes for your family to tell you this story. No,
2: it's the time it takes for a child to figure it out on his or her own and Bettelheim says it's very dangerous for parents to interfere with the fantasies of a child. Wait, hang on, hang
3: on. Whoa, <laughs> you're you're creating these fantasies. You're telling your child that there is a Santa Claus. You also
2: reading a you're you're also reading fairy tales to but your children. But the entire story is an interference of,
0: by right. the parents. Right? Because
3: it's not just reading a story to your child and having the story be over, it's Santa is the person who is responsible for Christmas and then Christmas comes and you say Santa brought, the, brought you these gifts mm-hmm. and then the child has to disillusion his or herself sometimes in a, in a way that's kind of traumatic.
2: And it could be kind of traumatic. I remember uh, a story uh, that that you might remember, Kenan, from when you were little and being your mom. I hope it's all right if I tell you this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Kenan, you came home on the bus. You were uh, six <laughs> years old and you walked in the house and you were quite upset because someone on the bus had said to you, uh, that there was no Santa but you didn't tell me that first the first thing you said was mom is there a Santa Claus mm-hmm. and I said absolutely and so that's not an
0: interference
2: no it's not let, let me finish okay. so you said I knew it I knew you'd tell me the truth it was a truth that you wanted to believe and I said Kenan why are you concerned about this and you said because this boy on the bus told me there was no Santa Claus and that your parents give you all the presents I said did he I said and what did you say <laughs> and Kenan's you said wrong last year i got a huge he-man castle and a train that went around from one castle to another and i know that cost almost a hundred dollars and my mother would never spend that kind of money on me (laughs) therefore you believed what you wanted to believe as people do even as adults
3: you don't think that you interfered in his belief, but he was doubting it, yep. and you reinforced mm-hmm. the belief. Yes. That's not, I mean, you're creating mm-hmm. that narrative.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't see that interference as a bad thing. So, I don't see that as a But it's not a question of whether it's good or bad. That,
0: that, absolutely. But it's different than me coming home on the bus and saying, is there a Santa Claus? And you saying, I don't know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Right? That's not what you did. You said yes there is absolutely
2: right because in my parental wisdom i decided and right. it was a decision i make and we make right. decisions for our children every day that you were not quite ready to give up that myth, but and when you answered me, you,
0: you knew that you were right. I knew that so I. So you I see had done that, that as right an thing. act of non-intervention because you were correctly intuiting what I wanted to hear. Uh,
2: that's that's right. Okay. But even if it were an intervention, I don't see that as as problematic. I mean, we tell sure. our children stories and fairy stories all the time. Kids give up Santa when they're ready to give up Santa.
0: How did you feel about the kid on the bus who had told me that there was no Santa Claus?
2: Well, I thought he was poorly parented. huh interesting because um, I think one thing that is, is, is a good idea to impart to your children is that there will be people that you meet in life and children that you meet on the bus who will hold very different opinions or viewpoints or beliefs than you do. So to, from yours. And if that's the case, that you know whether it's a religious viewpoint, a parent's political viewpoint coming through in a child, Uh, or belief in Santa Claus, it is the polite thing to do to let that child figure out his own beliefs or myths for himself and not to interfere with that. So that's
0: really interesting. So you see it as akin to a kid having said to me, like, Jesus is not our Lord and Savior.
2: I don't. I see it as akin to any kid telling another kid what he wants the other kid to believe from a position of power. Oh, we have a new challenger.
1: Gabriel dissents.
2: Yeah. yeah. Gabriel he
3: objects. Yeah. Really?
2: Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said.
0: You shut that whole argument down. Shut buddy. it right down. Right. All right. So, Isaac, I have a question for you. You. We're raised Jewish. You're a pizza bagel like me, but your mom converted. Did you ever believe that there was literally a Santa Claus?
4: To my knowledge, no.
0: Okay, so did you have friends who believed in Santa Claus in yeah. school? Yeah.
4: In and, fact, I got in trouble for telling them that Santa Claus wasn't real. So, my teachers, this is really
0: interesting. Is 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 it reasonable to ask little kids to understand that they need to be polite enough to let other little kids? Right believe things that they don't believe.
3: If they don't grow up with that tradition. Yeah. Which a lot of kids don't.
2: A lot of kids don't grow up with Christian or Jewish traditions or uh, Islamic traditions in which they're each asked to believe certain things.
0: And I think it's normal for kids to argue about which of those things is true.
2: It is. It is. But I think that part of training a child to be generous and loving and caring of other children or not, I don't like to use the word training, but educating a child to Mm -hmm. do those things is is to, to explain from a very early time that different families do things in different ways. Yeah, From a very early time.
1: Understandable. But does that then go in both directions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do families who, who do not teach belief in Santa Claus, if, if they're under the injunction to say, look, some kids believe in Santa Claus, so you need to respect that, are families who do teach uh, belief in Santa Claus also under the obligation to say, there are families who do not believe in Santa Claus and there are families who do not celebrate Christmas and there are families who will, and we need to respect that they do not live under the regime of Santa Claus as well.
2: Yes, there's absolutely that mandate. In fact, I would would strengthen the mandate by saying, and we're going over to visit the other family whose traditions are different from ours and we are going to help them celebrate and then we will invite them to help us celebrate. Learn
0: about each other's traditions.
2: Exactly. But not just learn about each other's traditions in, in a sort of academic sense, by, but by actually making people into neighbors to do that kind yeah. of thing. When
1: we go to their house, do we all dress
4: as Santa Claus?
2: <laughs> oh, ouch. No,
0: no, no, no. That no.
4: was
0: <laughs> so, so this is an interesting question to me because I I totally get how like the kid on the bus tells your kid, That there's no santa claus and you want to strangle that kid but i also would imagine if you're a parent who does not celebrate christmas and some kid tells your kid that they should expect there to be a pile of presents that that like a magic person gave to them that you'd want to strangle that kid
2: sure sure gifts from an unseen giver
0: Mm -hmm. right and then
2: and then that parent Mm
0: -hmm. from some other tradition Mm -hmm. feels the obligation to produce a pile of magically appearing presents
2: Well, maybe. I think most parents produce some kind of magically appearing presents, whether they say, look, you're going to have surprises tomorrow from mom and dad. But what if they don't celebrate Christmas? No matter what holiday they celebrate. Even if they don't. I mean, I've had students Mm -hmm. whose families don't celebrate Christmas per se, and yet there will still be a Christmas tree in the house, and they will be told that the children will have surprises the next morning, even if they don't bring Santa into that. So this is a
0: a somewhat secularized American tradition. Very much so.
2: In fact, your great-grandparents, the the Freedmans, considered... Uh, Christmas, an American holiday, mm-hmm. whereas your and great... the Freedmans
0: were, were Jewish.
2: Yes, and whereas your great grandparents on on your grandfather's side of the family um, d- uh, celebrated Hanukkah and maybe went out for dinner on Christmas, but your the gra- your grandparents Friedman actually had tree, a tree in the house mm-hmm. and they did give Christmas presents, as did your aunt Audrey and Uncle Milton.
0: Did they call it a Hanukkah
2: bush? Hanukkah bush is a, has a very interesting uh, origin. Mm-hmm. In the nineteen, I'm going to say 60s or 70s. I wish I had this information. Um, there was a show on television set on television. Okay. It was in black and white, and I remember it because I saw it. And it was about a Jewish child who really wanted a Christmas tree, and he kept badgering his parents for a Christmas tree. And the parents said, "Absolutely not. We are Jewish. We don't celebrate Christmas. We're not getting a tree because Christmas a Christmas tree is." is is very uh, it's, it's a symbol of a, of a religion that we don't belong to okay uh, they, they did not make it into a secular symbol mm-hmm. at the very end of the show grandpa the oldest person walks in and plunks down with much much ceremony mm-hmm. a Christmas tree mm-hmm. and the parents come in and say oh dad no you didn't we can't have a Christmas tree in the house and he's the one who said it's not a Christmas tree, it's a Hanukkah bush. Mm-hmm. That's where that expression mm-hmm. came from. It came from television. And, and to,
0: to you, is is this fact that what was a Christian tradition has become an American tradition that um, everyone gets to participate in, but also probably everyone feels pressured to participate in because like we said, like if you don't celebrate Christmas, there are kids telling your kids that magical piles of presents are gonna appear. Is that good? That the, that the tradition is spread that way or it just is or, or what?
2: I think, I, again, each family has to decide for itself. Mm-hmm. The a road of least resistance is mm-hmm. for everybody to celebrate it. Okay. Because that, that gives you the fewest problems with children. Right. The Lafrax in uh, in uh, in Middletown used to have a Christmas tree. Right. Uh, so it, it's just easier for everybody. And then that child, you know, doesn't feel left out if that's the way you want to do it. If you insist on no, there are lots of other things. Your grandparents used to decorate for Hanukkah like there was no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. There were uh, uh, blue and white stuff. Wow. Uh, Stars of David and dreidels and menorahs all over the chandelier, well, all over the, every place. And in fact,
0: Hanukkah is a sort of nonsense children's holiday that has become an important Jewish holiday yes. in America because of its calendrical yeah. proximity to Christmas. That's
2: right, because of
0: the, it needed, the Jewish families needed a response to
2: yeah, Christmas. Yeah, sure, or at least, they, at least, you know, those who did not see Christmas as a secular holiday needed a response to Christmas. Don't you think
4: a problem comes up with with on um, like the first day of school and every kid's like hey i got this for christmas and i got that for christmas i mean more generally doesn't don't you think it brings up a problem of like kids figuring out that they're less privileged than others and and some kids are have poorer families than others so they get like less presents or worse presents and it like brings up a whole psychological problem within themselves and then
3: why does santa bring those kids worse presents
4: is it because they are different colored skinned? Is it because they've been like bad?
2: I mean, you know, you, you're right. We do get into to, to economics. Having taught in every possible kind of school in New York City and then in New Jersey where I had students whose families owned helicopters and could land on their own helipads, helipads to children whose families had absolutely nothing, yeah. I can tell you that somehow no one wanted to give up Christmas no one wanted to give up the holiday the winter holiday and they stopped calling it Christmas break in schools and they started calling it a winter break and I can tell you that every place from Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn where my students were largely immigrants from the Caribbean Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, in the time I was there, the school was about eighty to ninety percent minority. To the more affluent Tottenville High School in Staten Island, where students had you know lots and lots of stuff, everybody seemed to come in, and I'm using that as an exaggeration, but almost everybody seemed to come in with a new sweater right after the winter break. You could see all the kids looked nice and clean and fresh right. because everyone was wearing a new sweater, regardless of socio socioeconomic. Uh, uh, stances they also have different communities a lot of minority communities celebrated Christmas you know largely in their churches and so there were there was there was stuff to give out there and mm-hmm. so the celebration existed somehow as far as the the physical stuff you know why did I get a wee one Christmas and somebody else got a teddy bear you know that that, that could be problematic I never heard a single child complain about it but that doesn't mean it wasn't. It wasn't Didn't,
5: there. Do you, a gift is a gift, no matter how yeah. much the gift cost, well, and, yeah. and the gift is is a thing of value to that to that child, whether it it was very expensive or whether it was very small, still a gift. And as a gift to that child, it makes that child feel significant, valued, and loved. Hmm. And they don't they don't look for price tags.
0: Um, we are we are being joined by Grandpa Tom, who uh, was on Gabriel duty earlier and has has swapped in for our moderator Mary Jane. You, I mean, you had you had two daughters and a son. You didn't find that they wanted specific things and that they would
5: be upset if they weren't going to get those things. Well, they usually had a well as a responsible Santa Claus, they, yeah. they when we ask for, you know, what is it that you would like? Yeah. And and they would give out lists and we would try to accommodate at least some yeah. of those things um, because we, it was an, a way to show them we care about you, you're valuable to us, and you're important to us. And if we have to move heaven and earth to find one thing that you want that might be beyond what we can do, we'll figure out a way to do it. Okay.
4: Except so Doesn't that love not go to the parents? It goes to Santa Claus.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. You, you're concerned that the love goes to, that, that the appreciation goes to Santa Claus rather than to the parents, and that the, the kids don't understand that it is, in fact, their parents who care that much about them to have found yes, a way to and, get them Yes,
4: also, it also brings up a problem of Santa being a mystical being of lots of power. Mm-hmm. You have, one would have to expect Santa Claus can whip up anything for you. Mm-hmm. So, what you... so if you get 20,000 presents one year, and then you don't the next year, like, what's right. wrong, Santa? Like, have you are you losing your game?
2: Uh, when I was a single parent and did not have limitless amounts of money to spend on my kids for Christmas... We would simply, I would simply say, look, Santa has a limited budget. He's got a lot of kids to take <laughs> care of, and you, you know, name five things that you would really like to have, and we'll see, we'll what, he see what he can do. Yeah, and, and that, you had that,
0: friends that, hunt stuff down for you and make us, make us homemade Cabbage Patch Kids, mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. what were you gonna say, Kate?
3: Well, I guess, you know, earlier you were saying the path of least resistance is for all kids to believe in Santa Claus. I wonder if the path of least resistance might be to have the tradition of christmas and presents and a sort of yeah there's like this story that we tell people and there's santa claus but do we have to ins- insist that our children believe in santa claus in order to make the holiday magical
2: no and that was my point about about families that don't yeah. you know incorporate santa into their into their celebrations that they that it's it, santa is not a necessity uh, i have a a couple of quotes here. I have one from, believe it or not, Claude Levi Strauss, who said that Santa Claus exists, but his essential nature cannot be empirically ascertained, <laughs> which I thought was great. Santa
0: Claus exists to sell blue jeans. Yeah, uh, and,
2: and then Max Mueller, of the the Naturist last century, said that kids personalize the forces forces of nature easily through Santa. You try talking to a really little kid about the winter solstice, and he goes, "Huh?" And you say, "Santa, oh sure, winter." Right, but but in our in our,
0: that is such an interesting thing to say because in our current society, what is being personified by Santa is actually the the forces of consumption mm-hmm. and consumerism, mm-hmm. and that seems to imply that we are so inundated in with uh, we're so surrounded by that system and pervaded by that system that we consider capitalism to be a force of nature mm-hmm. and that Santa Claus is our personification. Of that, and it's our way of understand, of explaining it to children.
2: I, I was just going to say that that after um, Thomas Nast contributed to uh, I don't know who that is. Christmas, he's you know who that I is. I learned him in history
4: class. Yes, about. that um, he was the cartoonist, right?
2: He was a cartoonist, and he he, he made a oh, a corpulent Santa in a cartoon in uh, 1863 to 1866. But what he was really doing was making fun of political figures. Like Boss Tweed, Tweed, who was huge. Oh, right? And he who gave out gifts to who
0: all of them. Yeah. Yeah. that's exactly right. Amazing. And that's, that's right. when
2: Santa got fat, right? Yes, it's okay. because Boss yeah. Tweed was fat. Oh, but Co- so the Coca-Cola Company did something which I think is kind of hilarious. Uh, when I was growing up, whenever you saw a picture of Santa on a billboard, he was drinking a bottle of Coke. Mm -hmm. and a couple of years ago coca-cola had the temerity to celebrate Santa Claus's 65th anniversary Mm -hmm. as if they had invented it because he had become so well but they recolored him wasn't he green before coca-cola he he had been many colors he had been blue he'd been green and they Mm -hmm. made him into the red and white coca-cola colors yes that's true that's very true and of course Clement Clark Moore in 1843 the same time that Charles Dickens is is writing a Christmas Carol you know they're both contributing to what Santa might look like I mean in, interesting in Clement Clark yeah. Moore's brain he's he's tiny and he has miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer but in Dickens's Christmas Carol while there's no Santa per se there are huge ghosts who appear you know, for and we are also asked to suspend our disbelief. Uh, well, santa has
0: got to be a ghost in some sense, right? It, oh, sure. Is it, well, Saint Nicholas um, still yes. still visiting your the house? The
4: ghost of Christmas Present is actually it's sort of right. fact, portrayed as a Santa oh, Jesus-like figure. Is that what
0: you were going to say? Kate?
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to point out that like the A Christmas Carol is the sort of iconic Christmas story, yeah. which does not include right. the figure of Santa Claus. So you're saying, saying no, you can do right. Christmas you can without right. Santa? You can do Christmas. Santa. You can yes, make Christmas, fact, Christmas magical Christmas carol without Santa Claus. He's
4: like. Really, what made Christmas a more popular holiday? Interesting. Like in, I actually just learned about this, but Christmas was like not a really big holiday. It was like not. Mm -hmm. It was pretty small. Uh, And then Christmas Carol like really blew it up, and then everybody sort of thought.
2: Christmas Carol blew it up because of the Industrial Revolution and the evils therein, and that's and that's what upset upset Charles Dickens. And if you get a chance to watch of uh, the man who invented Christmas and go take a look at that new film which is wonderful you'll you'll see some so a, a a kind of fictional representation of Dickens but, but also but fun the, How, however yeah christmas was a holy day before it was a holiday right and the
0: industrial revolution makes the kind of consumption that we associate with christmas possible oh, and then yeah. the idea of a mm-hmm. santa who brings you piles of presents that have been mass-produced that is is possible it's just you couldn't even do the something like that when all of those presents had to be made by
2: hand or, right. you or, would have, or you know, you'd have or, something small the the i think the the most powerful at least on the east coast pushing forward of santa claus came with the Thanksgiving Day Parade which used to be called Mm. when I was a child the Macy Day Parade again not Macy's Thanksgiving because you could shop right and the whole the whole point of that is to like say like hey shopping season's open shopping season's open and Santa is the last person always in that parade since the 1930s is the last person to appear in the parade Mm -hmm. and that is the official quote opening of the of the of the commercial uh, season that will that you know where you can take your kids to see Santa and And
0: so if Christmas is still a holy day mm-hmm. and that's how we celebrate it mm-hmm. does that mean that commerce is our religion
2: I don't see it that way okay those people who, who consider Christmas a holiday are asked to believe the most incredible story mm-hmm. that there is a homeless family who is a kind of who is kind of immigrant they are kind of immigrants to to Bethlehem they don't have enough money to pay their taxes but they go anyway there is a mother with a with a child of dubious um, uh, mm-hmm. origin right yeah. and and yet and yet into this whole scene of poverty and and yet somehow the joy of a birth and a, and a new life comes help mm-hmm. you know you get you get gifts from three wise men appearing in the nativity scene mm-hmm. bringing totally impractical gifts. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, <laughs> like, really, we're a poor family, could you bring food?
2: Yeah, no. Could bring, you bring
0: potatoes? Right.
2: Frankincense, what yeah. are we doing with that stuff, yeah. right? Okay. Christian children are taught that that was the origin of Christmas presents. Yeah. You know, that, that, that yeah, there's the Saint Nick story, but the origin of Christmas presents was when the wise men came. And so many European countries celebrate gift-giving day on January 6th, which is this feast of the Epiphany or the appearance of the Magi, not... Uh, on on December twenty sixth, and others celebrated on December sixth, which is the feast of Saint Nicholas.
0: Okay. So so when you tell that story mm-hmm. about me getting off, me being on the bus, and telling my friend that I knew Santa Claus was real because there's no way that you would spend that much money on me, I I feel like I hear something a little different than you do, in that that really was a ton of money for you to be able to spend at that time. Um, you I mean the unions were strong then, you had a good salary, but but teaching no you didn't have a good salary. No, I didn't I, mean, I had a good salary I did. But I mean, you were raising two kids on a on a teacher's salary and that to me feels like a tithe. Hmm. It it feels to me like every year in at the end of November we hear that our economy is gonna fall apart if all our retailers don't get into the black and they're hoping for a strong Christmas season this year. And and that what we do to keep that afloat is tell these stories and craft these intricate taboos against failing to give presents and and that that is what runs our economy and we all make this tithe this sacrifice to keep our economic system afloat and that you felt like you had to do that or your kid was going to cry
2: not quite you didn't i grew up in a christmas centric family okay and the 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 state of the economy because of who i am yeah has never concerned me one way or another um mom's theory of economics is the money comes from somewhere right. and i have no idea where it's coming from and i know where it's going to go but there'll always be more yeah so it, i i get and into a kind of bizarrely
0: worked out for yes, you yes it has
2: and <laughs> and so i i never i was never concerned about how i was going to pay for things i knew that the money would come from somewhere and not not from my parents or anything i just knew that i could always get another job i could always do something else but that the most important thing for me was to 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 make wishes come true mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know and I, I didn't see it in terms of the country's economy at all mm-hmm. I, I saw it in terms of the money comes from somewhere and there's you know I'll, I'll figure it out and and and, and, and it's
0: worth it to see the smile on your kid's that, face. that's
2: exactly yeah. right you know the, the idea of the unseen giver and the guy who you know may appropriate the parents love because after all these gifts gifts come under the tree I've never heard a child say I love Santa more than my parents huh. And I've also, I would also like to quote um, Dr. Fury Lero, who is the, um, who is. <laughs> who is our, our savior of our <laughs> family. Is, Well, not quite. But who is a psychiatrist and was the head of the uh, New Jersey Psychiatric Association for many years. And I interviewed him about this question. And he said that Santa is a harmless fantasy of hope. He said, kids figure it out and no one includes it. In grievances against their parents, hmm. no All one right. says my family made me believe in Santa Claus. How dare they? He says, <laughs> you know, organizations kill themselves to 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 do this to keep Santa alive, um, but adults sometimes inflict over seriousness of life on a child. These are not small adults, and part of it is that in in this particular culture in the, the two thousand around two thousand seventeen. Um, we have become friends to our children and not not parents in many cases and parents who would rather be friends to their children than than parents to their children are the are the ones who are most quick to get rid of these kinds of beliefs and that's
0: bad to be a friend to your child rather than a parent to your child
2: well somebody has to be the adult in the room I want to talk about the way that we are
0: constantly as a culture retelling this story and um, how we are all authors of the Santa Claus story. Because you mentioned earlier that new technologies allowed us to present Santa Claus in ever more specific and literal ways. We heard his voice then we saw his face. Mm -hmm. So my question is, is Santa Claus a white man?
2: Like the Nativity scenes in my Mm -hmm. cabinet um, of which there are over fifty. Santa takes on yes, the culture of the the culture of uh, takes of the, on the, of persona, the family. That's celebrating. right, okay. of the family celebrating. And so, in my nativity cabinet, I have a Haitian Mary and Joseph. I have Inuit Mary and Joseph. I have Amish Mary and Joseph. I have um, many Mexican and Peruvian Mary Joseph and lots of other characters in those sets. In different neighborhoods Santa looks different
0: okay Okay. in 2013 Megan Kelly used her show on Fox News to assure her viewers that Santa's ethnicity was not up for debate Santa just is white she explained Jesus was a white man too of course Both Jesus, a Middle Eastern Jew, and St. Nicholas, who lived in modern-day Turkey, predated the invention of whiteness by over a thousand years, and probably neither would be considered white by modern standards. But Kelly wasn't really making a historical argument so much as a cultural one. Mm -hmm. She was responding to Aisha Harris's lighthearted Slate article, arguing for an anthropomorphic penguin Santa. (laughs) As a kid, her dad assured her that Santa, like you said, took on the ethnicity of whatever house he was visiting. But she didn't buy it. She writes, I remember feeling slightly ashamed that our black Santa wasn't the real thing. Because when you're a kid and you're inundated with the imagery of a pale seasonal visitor, and you notice that even some black families decorate their houses with white Santas, you're likely to accept the consensus view despite your parents' noble intentions. So... I'm wondering if this myth can adapt to an increasingly multicultural and multi-ethnic society and does believing that the Santa story is literally true Require us to give him specific physical attributes and argue over which iteration of that character is canonical
2: Since Santa represents the spirit of generosity and the spirit of giving that Mm -hmm. spirit comes in many colors angels uh, throughout Throughout uh, biblical history, appeared to to human beings in various forms. You know, it, it, we might even entertain angels unaware because they don't look like angels. So Santa absolutely can be and should be uh, adapted to, to adaptable and adapt. There should be an adaptive uh, mechanism f- for for creating a Santa that fits in with the culture. Cal- he is a spirit. He can be any color he wants. To okay, Councilor Hall has a.
3: Well, no, I I just I think. And what I think your point is, is that we already, have, we, we already have an inundation of cultural imagery about Santa, and it may be impossible at this point to then
2: represent him in different ethnicities. Except for a few stalwart types like Pat James, like your Aunt Pat James, mm-hmm. who is African American and who does a lot of crafting at mm-hmm. Christmas time and all during the year having to do with, yeah, yeah, you know, three wise bears and things like that. But she also makes Santas. Mm-hmm. And every Santa that she buys, she makes sure she gives different color faces to. But
0: she is swimming upstream.
2: She Well, she is except in her neighborhood and her church. Okay. You know, so... so. And
0: you don't feel that her church is, is swimming upstream against the culture as a whole?
2: Her, she belongs to an Episcopal church, which is almost... All African American mm-hmm. and Caribbean, right. uh, and th- f- to them, it's not streaming up, uh, swimming upstream at okay. all. It is presenting children with an alternative, so that the the kids don't get left out.
4: Isaac, okay, so I think that within the families themselves, you could represent Santa as whatever you want, but in like popular culture and in like the Macy's Day Parade or in commercials or how like. Corporations represent Santa, and how the world altogether represents Santa is a fat white man.
2: It's true, um, except now we're seeing. I think. M- I think we're making more inroads, <laughs> and yeah. what I mean is, there are there are department stores and there are parks and places where Santa appears and you can t- have a picture taken, that will only well, will hire only Santas who speak other languages, especially Spanish. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's cool.
4: But Are, that That is like a little bit but it isn't like what's broadly represented in like That's certainly true but I you're agree.
2: saying it's a slow process it's of a, changing the yes, culture Yes, we've got a long way to go Okay But yes, Virginia there is and should be a Santa Claus Our, <laughs> yes. I would like to mark this
1: elision between Santa and the Holy Family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it, even Isaac said a little while ago um, something about The ghost of Christmas present looking like Santa or Jesus. (laughs) And we were talking about the holiday, the the holy day turning into a holiday. Here's my question My question is insofar as Santa is something, is somebody in whom mainly either culturally Christian or devotionally Christian families believe, do do Christian families have anything to fear from the uh, disillusionment, the necessary disillusionment of Santa Claus? Are they setting themselves up to fail? Right. Um, Because you tell a story about an unseen giver of Mm -hmm. all things um, who punishes bad behavior and rewards good behavior and who is ever loving. But you probably should probably be good Um, and who, you know, shows up when you're not looking and things like that. Right. Um, And at some point, the kid realizes that the presents are from mom and dad and from the aunts and uncles and things like that and not from this guy called Santa Claus and actually Santa is an idea but there's no like actual Santa Claus. Um, do Christian families have have, have have reason to worry that it might be a difficult sell at that point to say okay so no, there's no Santa and there's no Tooth Fairy and there's no Easter Bunny but there is a guy who was born in a stable who's also God?
2: We ask ourselves and our children and each other to believe in the spiritual aspects of life all the time. The biggest one we ask each other to believe in is is the resiliency of the human spirit. right? You can't see the human spirit except in activities. And I don't think it's a problem for any family when a child gives up a belief in an imaginary friend or an imaginary Santa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think the child is is demonstrating his maturity to deal with other things.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually think in some sense uh wh- re- regarding what you said like maybe that actually helps your child to have a more nuanced understanding of uh, biblical stories. Sure, absolutely. I, I,
1: and I think that that's that's delightful, right? That you can believe that, that's in these a, abstractions, like right. the greatness of the human spirit. Is that what I'm asking? Is does it undermine the belief in the concrete historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth also being God? Because that is the That I mean, the the way that people talk about that particular Jesus of Nazareth is often indistinguishable from the way that they talk about that Santa. I'm not right I'm not I'm not worried about kids growing up to believe in love or kids growing up to believe in the dignity of the human spirit or the indifference of the universe. But I'm what, what I'm what I what I what I'm interested in is whether it's self-sabotaging to but, say not the guy
2: in the red suit but the guy in the brown sandals another canon story if you present both at the same time mm-hmm. and the child grows up and I'm talking specifically in Christian families who do believe in, in the nativity and that story. Um, if you present both at the same time, children seem to have no trouble giving up one but still believing in the other because the adults still believe in the other. That's one That's one thing. Kenan okay. also extrapolated from the nativity story a number of things which probably should have given me the notion that he would turn into the person that he is today he as he was playing and i mean playing with one of the nativity sets uh in the new stable that he insisted his grandfather make for a nativity scene that was danish and very sophisticated and didn't need a house as kenan called it uh he was putting the figures in there and suddenly said to me out of the blue and he was six i think i know why jesus was born to a poor family now I don't know where he got this from. I don't remember telling him anything about it. And I said, why is that? And he said, because if the poorest family gets the best child, that sort of makes things more evener. So that was one thing that he said. And the other thing he said, at the same time, thinking about wealth, I'm sure, same day, I don't think God wants us to be too rich or too poor. I said, really, (laughs) Kenan? He said, yes. I think he wants everybody to be medium, and and I. Should... Hey,
0: if Christmas gave me that, yeah, those those <laughs> yes. values, then it might not be working the way it's intended to be working. Are you worried that at the point that your kid figures out that the story that you have been telling them is not true in the way that you have been saying it is, does that undermine your parental authority? So, so you said, well, you don't, the parents don't believe in Santa Claus, but they still do believe in Jesus, and that's the dis- distinction. But at this point. Can I trust you when you tell me that that you believe something or that something is true? When you tell me drugs are dangerous, you shouldn't do them, am I now more inclined to say, yeah, well, my parents have told me all sorts of things and I don't don't know if I can trust them?
2: I've never run across, in the millions of teenagers I've taught, well, at least, I would say at least 60 or 70,000, I've never run across a child or a teenager who said to me, um, when my parents told me the truth about Santa, I knew they were lying about everything else.
5: When my kids were growing up in a pastor's house... Right, yeah, I should have added to Tom's church.
0: introduction that he is a Baptist minister and also a veteran of the New York public school system.
5: Continue. When my kids were growing up in a conservative Baptist church, when they were first born, and you know and we're coming to an age of awareness mm-hmm. you know I, I thought we've got i've got to figure this question out okay i've got to figure out in this church with these kids as a minister how am i going to deal with this before they ever get to a place of asking these kinds of questions they're still little kids i mean yeah. little you know small kids and the way that i determined to do this is that whenever Santa Claus came up this is a wonderful story isn't this a great story okay. you know this story has reindeer and so Rudolph you didn't
0: tell them that Santa Claus was literally never
5: it was always a story. However, with regard to Mary and Joseph, this is an objective historical fact. Fascinating. And so, so th- we made that separation at the beginning, and so the question never came And
0: part up. of that was a function of the community that you were raising your children in. You felt like you had to tailor the story well, so that they were going to have a story that worked well for them in the community they lived in.
5: And in, in life. Okay. Because this is... It t- because I wanted to, to get some sense of what is real and what isn't real okay you know what what I'm not lying to you when I tell you this is a story uh-huh. I'm not lying to you when I say that you know there is objective truth to this story so you you were careful about not well, I, that's not my point authority. my point is the presuppositions that you give to children okay. solves a lot of problems mm-hmm. before you ever get there all right, right. that's great.
2: And yet, there is—you know—I will go to the opposite direction as I said. No, no, (laughs) no! You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, but if you say anything to Gabriel about Santa being a story, you're going to have me to deal with. <laughs> oh. uh, having grown up, as I said before, in a Christmas-centered family, Christmas-centric family, uh, we, that, that, is, that becomes contagious. Your Jewish grandparents came to my Christian parents' house when Mary Jane was a very little girl, and your grandfather, <laughs> Seth went out into the garage, donned a Santa outfit, knocked on the front door and said, oh, ho, ho, I'm here to <laughs> right. give out
0: the presents. And somehow this is considered not to be an intervention on the parents' part.
2: <laughs> this is an intervention on the parents' part. What I'm saying is many of us were invested in keeping that alive. And as Mary Jane's eyes just got huge and she said, oh, mommy, he's really here mm-hmm. and you're and we, we you know winking at each other very much like the song I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus uh, we we were just you know we were in tears it was so it was such a touching and moving thing and so much fun and when your grandmother went over and kissed Santa Claus who was her husband uh, you know we all cheered it was it, it we were highly invested uh, in maintaining
0: right. the myth so this is my question is Santa Claus a story that is told for the children's benefit or for the benefit of the tellers well, you just talked about how invested you were in it how much mm-hmm, fun it was for mm-hmm. you to see Mary Jane be stupid and believe something that obviously wasn't true like like and and that that's cute for
2: adults to watch kids like not understand the world around them what was cute was not that she was stupid but that she was trusting and that she was that she but was were you tr- not betraying that trust we were not betraying that trust okay. we were keeping alive a a myth that she, we knew all too soon she would figure out and you figured it out and she figured it out and i don't see any picket signs outside the house nope, you're absolutely right saying you know this what you really damaged us mom we did a lot of other things <laughs> to damage <You're> right. you <laughs> <laughs> well mom
0: you have made your case eloquently and persuasively but i do have one last question for you mm-hmm. in a world that has perhaps grown a little less hopeful a little less faithful and a little more cynical than it once was what is your favorite holiday movie?
2: Well, I have a very old one called "It Happened on Fifth Avenue." Okay, where a vagabond mm-hmm. lets himself into a mansion mm-hmm. that's not occupied during the winter because its mm. its residents are in Virginia.
0: I'm so into this story,
2: and he invites homeless uh, vets. See, that should be our
0: Christmas tradition is <laughs> occupying rich people's unoccupied homes that is an awesome
2: Christmas tradition and
1: as a closing question I have one that will be easier for you to answer which is do you have a favorite Christmas song
2: Christmas carol as in religious Christmas or
1: carol as in religious is there a best one
2: yes what there is it? one best one and it's by Mendelssohn who was is? half Jewish just want to tell you: hark the herald angels sing there is no other Christmas carol it's, uh, it's, All the good Christmas songs are
0: by Jewish kids.
2: That's true, yeah. especially White Christmas yeah. by Irving Berlin, uh, because it's it's big, it's loud, it's triumphal, it's hmm. thank heaven there is something to to celebrate whether you believe or you don't believe, it, you 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 can't help but being. Be caught up in this music that puts everybody in a good. Nobody sings. That's right. It's
0: unavoidably exalting.
2: Nobody's in a bad mood after you sing "Hark the Herald Angels Sing."
0: Tom, do you have a
5: favorite uh, holiday song or film? Uh, Film is the original "Christmas Carol" Mm. with uh, Reginald Owen and and, uh, 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 Leo Carroll. Leo Carroll was the was um, Marley, and a song is Oh Holy Night." Yeah. Mm. Absolutely, Mary Jane, Have you ever
0: stayed awake through a Christmas movie? Uh,
1: not once. Okay, no. so
0: you you have no opinion on this, matter? I
1: no, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't even believe in Christmas movies. You, <laughs> you're not sure that they exist. I don't think they exist. You've
0: seen the first four minutes of White Christmas eight hundred times. I just think that's all
1: they made. Actually.
0: <laughs> why did they? Why does everyone love that four minute movie? Isaac, do you have a favorite holiday movie? Um,
4: my favorite holiday movie is
0: Hellboy Two. <laughs> oh, just this morning you were arguing that Hellboy Two did not count as a Christmas Hellboy movie. Whatever. <laughs>
4: Um, my favorite songs, Is uh, Carol for the Bells Oh yeah That's a good one That's a really good one
0: Kate Favorite Christmas movie
3: Um I I think my favorite Might be another version Of Christmas Carol Which is the Albert Finney mm-hmm. um, Oh yeah Favorite song Is Away in a
1: Manger Do you mm. like The Away in a Manger With the real t- With the real melody Or the fake melody
3: What do you mean With the real melody yeah,
1: too Yeah There's Away in a manger Blah blah Do da dee. Is that the one you like What's the real one Away in a manger. No. no good
3: fight I, I mean, the first one is the one that I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I know the it.
0: Springsteen version of Away in a Manger, where he's like, Away in a Manger! <laughs> Christmas song. I don't know. I guess probably have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I also, I've been really, I don't know. Yeah, that, actually,
3: that, that version of the melody is much better. I do know it. It's much yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> Sorry.
0: No, no, that's okay. I've also been, I've been really into, that's what Christmas means to me this, this season. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And for film, I'm going to have to go with The Nightmare Before Christmas, the movie that assures us that even if you're not quite feeling it, even if you can't quite make yourself belong in this strictly cheerful and sincere Christmas world, there is a place for you too. And there's always a place for dissenting perspectives here on Know You're Wrong. Tell us how you handle the Kringle conundrum on Twitter at Know you Wrong Pod. Find our previous debates about subjects like de extinction and superhuman regulation, as well as links to subscribe to the show on our website, knowyourwrongpodcast.com. Our music is by Sugarfunk and me, your tragically credulous moderator, Kenan. Special thanks to our guest moderator, Mary Jane Rubinstein. You can find her books on subjects like The Philosophical Value of Wonder and the Evolution of Multiverse Theory on her website, maryjanerubenstein.com, as well as from Columbia University Press and Amazon. And thank you so much to our special guests, Ronnie and Tom Warren. Check out their kids, they're great. And if you really butter them up, you might get invited to Christmas dinner next year where you- You can sample the aforementioned Christmas cookies and maybe even hear the Christmas parodies performed. Mom, MJ, Grandpa Tom, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll all join us again soon. Thank you for having us. We will be back to address another quandary of little consequence just as soon as we're done unwrapping all the coal in our stockings. Until then, (laughs) may your takes be merry and bright, and we will catch you on the flip side.